In the name of Allah, the most merciful and kind, you are about to listen to an audio representation of the life of the Prophet Muhammad. It does not replace a thorough studying of his life. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. How could fire be black? How could the whirling inferno all around him billow with the force of a hurricane and still be scorching hot? The ebony embers danced in rage, with sparks the size of camels shooting off into the suffocating smoke-filled sky. Everything was dark. Everything was dangerous. But most of all, everything burned. At the bottom of this pit was a tortured soul, a man so burnt and charred that he could hardly be recognized as human wailed painfully. He was dragged on his face on the searing floor, his guts trailing behind him, frying like meat in a pan. The prophet gasped and woke up. His heavy breaths were the only thing he could hear now. The deafening rumbling of that cursed place, now only a memory. Fearful. You should be. The real thing is much worse. Jibreel stood by the drapes of the Kaaba, his fiery eyes solemn. The Prophet stood up. The sanctuary was deserted. He had fallen asleep in the Hijr after a long night of prayer. There was cold sweat on his body. Oh, Jibreel, who was that? His name was Amr bin Luhai. Amr bin Luhai? From the Khuza'a tribe? The Prophet exclaimed. The Khuza'a had ruled Mecca centuries before the Quraysh. Their leaders were legendary. Indeed, he was the one that brought filth to the sacred house. Jibril turned to the Kaaba. Putting one hand on the black stone, he continued. Years ago, the father of prophets, Ibrahim, came to this valley. He built the first shrine to the Lord of the Worlds. I remember that time fondly. He called the people to worship the Most High. And they came, on foot and on camel, and from every deep ravine, a good land and a forgiving Lord. But years went by and Ibrahim returned to his Lord, and the people forgot who their God was who the God of Ibrahim was. Jibril turned back to face the prophet. There was genuine rage in his eyes. The son of Luhai returned from his trip to Roman lands, where he saw the misguided people worshiping their own creations. He brought a stone statue with him and placed it in front of the sacred house. He summoned the people to worship it, and they did. They believed they were using the statue as an intermediary to Allah. It was the first idol, but not the last. The Prophet examined the Kaaba courtyard, noticing even in the darkness the shadows of the 360 false gods. I saw him dragging his intestines, the Prophet muttered, recalling that horrific incident. Such is the punishment for all who betray Allah and that place will always have room for more. The Prophet's heart was beating quickly now. Was the angel saying what he thought he was saying? This is your purpose, O Muhammad. 
You have been sent as a giver of good news and as a warner. The prophet asked, but felt he already knew the answer. A warner of what? Fire. Jibril was becoming brighter and less human. Warn them, Muhammad. Warn them! Chapter 11 Hellfire When the Rasul, peace be upon him, had gone up to the cave of Hira all those years ago, he had had no idea that his life was about to change forever. This morning, however, was going to be different. He knew everything was going to change. Proclaim what was commanded to you and turn away from the disbelievers, he recited. Allah's command had come and he had fulfilled it. He walked past some slaves who were gearing up for the day's work. Some Banu Umayya tribesmen were discussing politics, and parents were leading their children to do their morning circuits around the Kaaba. Can Allah hear us worshipping him? Only if you yell loud enough, otherwise only these gods down here will hear you. So, what god do you want to worship today, son? The Rasul, peace be upon him, walked past, frowning slightly. He saw his aunt Safiya holding his daughter, Fatima, by the hands. Their eyes met. His aunt Safiya turned away, pretending not to have seen him. The dinner party had left an uneasy tension between him and the rest of the Banu Hashim. But they didn't understand. They hadn't seen that fiery place. They did not realize that if they continued on the path that Amr ibn Luhay had set forth all those centuries ago, they would face a punishment beyond any comprehension. He had to tell them the truth. It was the only way to save his family, his people. And though he did not relish another outburst like Abu Lahab's, the alternative was much, much worse. Mount Safa gave a clear view of the sanctuary. There was a good vantage point that the Rasul, peace be upon him, could make use of. Behind him was Al-Fadiha, the exposer a part of the mountain where people would urinate shamelessly in public. To his left was the narrow path that led to Arqam's home. Right in front of him was the wide path that ended with Mount Marwa. He took a moment to appreciate the view before turning towards the holy Kaaba and yelling, Well, Sabaha, your attention this morning. People stopped mid-conversation, some even mid-prayer. O oh, people of Quraysh, hear me, O oh, people of Quraysh. People began to gather around the foot of the mountain. Abu Talib with a worried expression, Hamza looking uncertain, Safiya half dragging Fatima by the wrist. Word spread that Muhammad ibn Abdullah was making an announcement. And within a few minutes, over a hundred people awaited his words. The bright red figure of Abu Lahab thundered through the crowd. He pushed his way to the front, eyes burning with rage. But there was no going back now. O oh, people of Quraysh, if I were to inform you of something, would you believe me? He announced. We know nothing but good from you. You are our son, and the son of our brother. And have you heard any lie from me before? The prophet exclaimed. You are an honest man. You speak not lies. And if I were to inform you that an army is coming behind this mountain to attack you, 
Would you believe me? We believe anything you say, Muhammad. We trust you, Muhammad. You are a sadiq, the honest one. The Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, nodded. Then know that I have been sent as a warner to you by Allah, to warn of a severe punishment on the Day of Judgment, unless you turn to Allah alone and give up your idolatry. A hush fell over the crowd as some began to frown. Abu Talib seemed to shrink into the staff he was leaning on. It was like he just received news that his child had died. Follow me and turn to Allah, for if you worship these idols, I will not be able to save you from the hellfire. His voice cracked. He turned to his far right. O tribe of Ka'b ibn Lu'ay, save yourselves from the fire of hell. I will not be able to help you. O Banu Murrah ibn Ka'b, save yourselves from the fire of hell. I will not be able to help you. He moved on and on, tribe by tribe, clan by clan. O Banu Abdul Manaf, O Banu Abdul Muttalib, save yourselves. He began with the tribe least related to him and worked his way inward, closer and closer, until he got to... O Banu Hashim, save yourselves from the hellfire! I will not be able to help you! He started to call his relatives, one by one. O Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib! He grimaced and scratched the back of his head. O Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib! Her face flushed furiously until finally he laid his eyes on his little flower, Fatima. O Fatima bint Muhammad! His daughter stared up at him with big innocent eyes. Please save yourself from hellfire. I will not be able to help you on the day of judgment. But in this world, I will give you all that I have. Safiya put her hands on Fatima's shoulders as though she were bracing herself to yank the toddler away from Muhammad at a moment's notice. The Rasul, peace be upon him, felt a weight lift off of him. No more secrets, no more height. Suddenly, a hot streak of dust and pebbles lashed his face. The Prophet, peace be upon him, blinked sand out of his eyes. Curse your hands, Muhammad! Is this why you gathered us here today, so that we can hear more of your lunacy? Abu Lahab grabbed another fistful of dust and threw it in his nephew's direction. The Prophet, peace be upon him, ignored his uncle. But even as he opened his mouth to address the crowd again, he saw people vacating the scene. They had strange expressions on their faces that he had never seen before from anyone in Mecca. For he had been beloved since birth, the most liked and valued citizen in the city. But now he saw it clearly on their faces for the first time, as they turned away, avoiding his gaze, shaking their heads. It was disappointment. He felt a strange tightness in his chest. O oh, people of Quraysh, who will join me in this? No one! <laughs> no one will join you in this! Me, I will join you, Muhammad. But Ali's brave stance was not replicated by his family or clan. It only made him a recipient of the unknown invisible mark that was now on his cousin Muhammad, the mark that made them undesirable, such that people did not want to even be near the two of them, lest they become diseased as well. Everyone left the foot of the mountain, and the Rasul, peace be upon him, began to descend. He walked towards Hamza, 
who conveniently turned away just at the right moment. Abu Talib put one hand on a fuming Abu Lahab and led him away from the scene. Come on, come on, let's go. Get your hands off of me. I'll take enough of that. Let's go, let's go. All right, all right, I'm, I'm going, I'm going. The Prophet, peace be upon him, stood alone. The people couldn't get away from him fast enough. The only one who so much as looked at him was that roomy-eyed 11-year-old with skinny shins. Ya Rasulullah, I'm with you. I'll always be with you. He gave the messenger a passionate hug. The Prophet, peace be upon him, tried to return it with a reassuring smile, but it did not come off very convincing. He took Ali by the hand, and they started to walk away. Where they were going, the Prophet wasn't sure, but he had to leave that place. He couldn't bear to be there another minute. The tightness in his chest was suffocating. How come nobody will talk to us? The Prophet's eyes were fixed on the ground in front of him, but he was still aware of the fact that every path they took, every street they turned into, quickly became deserted. Every shop they passed by would suddenly close, though it was prime shopping time. They won't even look at us. They kept walking, one foot in front of the other. It seemed important to keep walking. Even when they left the inner city and ascended into the outskirts, the Rasul, peace be upon him, could not think to do anything but walk. Had he done something wrong? Had he not informed them properly? They admitted that they trusted and believed him. And yet, when he told them about a very real danger, they refused to even hear him out. Maybe they didn't understand the message. Maybe you can try talking to them in private, like with Abu Bakr. The tightness in the Prophet's chest was becoming too much. His people had adored him his entire life. They had never looked at him like that before. Like he was insane. Was he insane for telling them that worshipping statues was foolish? That Allah would punish them for desecrating his house? This was not the religion of Ibrahim. And yes, he had expected some pushback and questions, but they dismissed him instantly. They didn't even give him a chance. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. The Rasul, peace be upon him, stopped. He had been so engrossed in his own self-disappointment that he hadn't even noticed what Ali was doing. He turned to the sound of that familiar voice. And sure enough, it was that wide rock with the protruding top. Out of all the rocks and stones, Ali had been facing this one. See ya Rasulullah, even the rocks give salam. The constriction was released. Fresh air met his lungs. A warm wave of relief washed over the Prophet, peace be upon him. Everything that had happened to him these last three years had been preparing him for this day. Allah had chosen Muhammad to guide people back to worshipping him alone. It would be difficult. Waraqa ibn Nufal had warned him it would be. But whatever it took, even if Abu Lahab publicly cursed him a thousand times, he would not let his people end up in hellfire. And he knew he was not crazy. The light of Islam was anything but crazy. But now he had that little bit of reassurance too. Because Ali bin Abi Talib 
could hear the salams of the stones and the rocks all around him. He could really hear them. Ali believed in him, as did Abu Bakr, Khadija, Zaid, and his companions. Maybe it was time to believe in himself too. The entire city had come out under the blood-red sky to see the execution. Namrud, the king of Babylon, had himself arrived to oversee this momentous occasion. The people celebrated, they danced and sang and drank wine. This was the day they killed Ibrahim. Bring out the prisoner! Ibrahim held his head high, his wrists tied. The people booed him, they threw filth at his face, spat at him. You god killer! You're going to burn, Ibrahim! Ibrahim disregarded their insults. Allah will save him, he said. They half marched, half dragged him through the frenzy of dancers. Today was the revenge of the gods Namrud had declared. They had spent days building the roaring inferno, set the entire valley ablaze, a great fire unlike anything ever made before. It was so hot that birds that flew over the ravine fell dead instantly. King Namrud rose from his throne. Show this rebel what we have in store for him. They placed a large boulder on the bent palm tree, tied from its tip towards the ground. Lunch. The tree snapped like a catapult, hurling the boulder hundreds of feet over the ravine where it was swallowed by the monster's wings. You're next, traitor. Ibrahim had no fear. Allah would protect him. He knew he would. Look, it's his father! Ibrahim saw his father amongst the partygoers. I shall ask Allah to forgive you, father, Ibrahim said. His father threw a stone at his face in response. The palm tree was bent back and tied, ready to launch Ibrahim this time. Wait! Let him first be stripped. They ripped his clothes off, they jeered and mocked his body. The cowards. It didn't matter that he was one of them, that he was a youth, a boy, that his only crime was speaking the truth. They paraded their victim around, kicking and insulting him. But Ibrahim was not concerned with the mob that had stripped or beat him. Through the crowd was a figure not intoxicated with wine or bloodlust. A man with pure white clothing and pure black hair, standing completely motionless. Bring him here. Someone kicked Ibrahim onto the ground and they dragged him from his hair to the king. He bent down to whisper into his ear. You know, I really should be thanking you. My subjects are pleased. They have a unified enemy. And now that you've killed all the gods, well... The only one left to worship is me. I do not fear what you associate besides Allah. Namrud smiled. He stood up. Today we avenge our fallen gods. Ibrahim was placed on the tip of the tree. The roaring of the flames is deafening. Today we smite the heretic. Ibrahim could see nothing but an ocean of fire below the ravine. The flames towered like mountains into the sky. Ibrahim, do you need any help? The man in white was next to him now. After today, no man shall ever say God is one. Ibrahim, do you need any help? Ibrahim ignored the man. Burn him and give victory to your gods. Throw him into the hellfire. Ibrahim, do you need any help? Ibrahim responded calmly. From you? No. 
Allah is enough for me, and he's the best to rely on. Launch! The rope was cut. Ibrahim flew into the air, his naked body tumbling through the smoke. The spark-filled wind blew through his hair. Faster and faster he fell, and then... And then he was floating. Gracefully. More graceful than a feather. Though the flames licked every inch of his body, he felt cool. It was not even warm, much less hot. He descended slowly, feet first. The fire was everywhere, but he felt nothing. The ropes around his wrists burned away, freeing his hands. His feet touched the cool ground. Ibrahim landed in hellfire, but he felt nothing but paradise. He raised his arms outwards and lifted his head back. He took a deep breath of pure, cool, clean air. He dropped to his knees. A pile of neatly folded clothes materialized at his touch. He dressed himself and began to praise Allah, for there was no God except him. He turned around. The man in white stood in the flames with him. I can see why Allah has chosen you to become one. To become what? Ibrahim said. A messenger, Ibrahim. A messenger. You've been listening to The Sound of Sirah, Book 1, Revelation. Written and directed by Ibrahim Salman. Produced by Islam by Touch. Technical assistance by Nadir Thabata and Musa Chaudhry. Script editing by Baraa Al-Hajj. Starring Islamic Pearl as Khadija bint Khuwaylid, Um Ayman, and Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib. Omar Sadiq as Zayd bin Haritha. Sharif Suleiman as Ali bin Abi Talib. Dorsey Jackson as the Angel Jibreel, Bara' al-Hajj as Abu Bakr, Karim Barjus as Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Anthony Rodriguez as Waraka ibn Nawfal, Qaisar Aslam as Uthman ibn Affan, Amir Taha as Zubair ibn Awam, Hussam al-Shazli as Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, Nadir Thabata as Abu Lahab Hazim Abdul Majid as Saad ibn Abi Waqas Umair Atawiyya as Abdurrahman ibn Aw Katie Ansari as Um Jamil Ibrahim Salman as Abu Talib Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib Ubay ibn Khalaf Walid ibn Mughira Muhammad al-Nadi as various background voices. Mashhud Hussein as Quran recitation, various background voices. Spiritual consulting by Maulana Yasir Khan. Follow us on Instagram and social media and stay tuned for The Sound of Sirah, Book 2. Any information that is correct is from Allah. Only the mistakes are our own. والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته